In your corner with Core Physical Therapy, my name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care, and you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast, so let's get on with the interview. All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. Once again, go out to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. That should be the first location that you start your journey on a, I don't know, better health and life and all that stuff. Along with this particular podcast, you got to do that and listen to this podcast, both, right? Okay, now we've got another great panel. We're going to be talking about traumatic elbow instability. Um, right off the bat, I can't spell traumatic. I can spell elbow. Instability, I, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but... Uh, for the listeners out there, Dr. Orbe, give us a little background on who you are outside of the fact that you've got some fabulous scrubs on. <laughs> and that's the first time, too. You're the first one on this particular podcast to have the bring the scrubs to the, I mean, it's always like Dr. Wick, uh, Rick with the white jacket. Go ahead. Um, well, my name is Caro. I grew up in Miami, did uh, my medical training here. Well, I did my medical school here in Miami, but I did my medical training in North Carolina, finished that recently, moved back, and I've been practicing here in Miami now. Um, the, the reason that, one of the reasons that I thought this was a great topic was because this topic is uh, near and dear to my heart because I actually, unfortunately, had to deal with this in a my husband. And so this is something that's not only been personal, because my husband's had this problem, but uh, my father also is very involved in in research for the elbow, and um, I'm sorry. And it's, uh, it's he, okay. we're, we're this is a project that he has. The we're going to discuss a couple of treatment options for elbow instability, and this is something he's been very interested in as well. And so I kind of grew up, even as a little kid, talking about elbow instability at the dinner table. All right, Thomas. Try to top that. Give us a little background. Well, I am the lead occupational therapist in beautiful Coral Gables, Florida. I grew up in Miami. Um, I have a background in sports, overhead sports, volleyball, basketball, football, you name it. And um, rugby? Rugby? No, no. I got you on that. But uh, traumatic elbow instability is something that. I kind of suffered through um, in my high school days, but it's a lot better now. And um, I have uh, uh, my um, CI to thank for that, to kind of get my elbow back to normal. There you go, man. All right, Dr. Rick, it's all up to you now. They're all warmed up. But first of all, I want to thank you guys for, for this uh, podcast. And, and this is a great topic. This is truly something that is a sports guy. I'm a sports orthopedist. Uh, we deal with maybe not traumatic, but more progressive uh, overuse, et cetera. And I think, as we all know, elbow dislocations are the second most common dislocated joint. So it's something you, you see on a routine basis. But before we get started, Dr. Orbe, kind of describe simple versus complex instability and, and sort of the basic anatomy. What, what happens when you dislocate your elbow and, and how do you dislocate your elbow? Well, 
Um, so the elbow is most simply described as a hinge joint, but in reality, it's three different bones. And while, while two of those bones articulate as a hinge, then you also have the third bone, the radius, which is, provides the rotation that we all benefit from when we use our forearm. The, when a patient, when we're talking about traumatic elbow instability, we're discussing any time that that joint is not congruent or not well aligned. In traumatic cases, it's a patient who has fallen. And usually when we talk about elbow dislocation, we're referring to the humerus and the ulna coming apart. And that becomes something that we, we have to address. Most of, most of the primary elbow stability comes from the bony architecture. But if as soon as any sort of bony architecture is violated, then you become dependent on the soft tissues of the elbow to give you a secondary stabilizer so that you can then move your elbow without losing that very important congruity of the joint. And so when we talk about traumatic elbow instability, we talk about any elbow instability that's occurred as a result of an injury. So a simple dislocation is when the, sim the joint simply comes apart and there's no fractures or or sometimes you can see a small like ligamentous avulsion fracture associated, but no major, major insult to the bony architecture. Many, of, not all, but many of those elbows can be treated conservatively with rehab to get, try to get the motion back. And that's because you've maintained bony integrity. It becomes more difficult once the, there's a fracture involved and, and there are many different patterns of elbow fractures. And we actually, the patterns will dictate how we choose to address them and what, what we do for these elbows. That's awesome. So kind of, kind of along those lines, um, kind of discuss the mechanism a little bit, varus valgus rotation, supination, et cetera. And, and what's the most common way uh, Thomas is going to dislocate his elbow when he falls playing volleyball? What, what, what happens? So we, we say that we live in a varus world. So the elbow is most often when you're using it, the elbow is seeing various loads. Patients will often fall in with a, in varus. And so most often the elbow will just get posteriorly and laterally and out the back. And so that is the most common fracture pattern we see though. We see all, all things. So one of the common things that we do see is uh, one of the more common ones is a terrible triad fracture dislocation. That's actually um, the, a very difficult injury to rehab because you were not only dislocating your joint, but you're breaking your radial head. And um, that, that is one, but we talk about there's, can be, you can do something so small, like just fracture the intermedial facet of your coronoid. It's like a little piece of a little piece of a little piece of the bone. And it, that results in instability that needs to be addressed. And that's one of the more commonly missed prop injuries because it's so easy to be like, oh, it's such a tiny fragment and let's not worry about it. And the patient comes back months later and they complain they can't get out of a chair because they feel their elbows bumping around. And so, so it's important to be aware of these problems and, and pay attention to them. And so the patient comes in, um, let's say they have, a, let, let's go through the, the dynamics just a bit. Let's say they have a simple dislocation um, and basically, uh, show up in the ER, they've fallen, they have an instability pattern, how are you going to decide two things? How are you going to reduce it? Number one, and then we'll talk to Thomas for a minute. And then number two, how, how are you going to decide, um, 
what needs surgery and what doesn't need surgery and, and kind of walk us through the radiographic workup and maybe get an MRI or, or how do you proceed and how do you decide if they have a small coronoid fracture or, or a ligamentous pattern anteriorly? So a patient comes to the ED and the first thing we do is get x-rays and that often it's when the elbow is dislocated and there's a lot of pieces, it's hard to understand what's going on. But if it's a simple dislocation, often the x-ray is all you need. And then the patient, the first thing we try to do is get the joint back realigned and in place. So we reduce the, we reduce that in the ED if we're able to, uh, the patient can or cannot be sedated, but as long as their pain is well controlled, a, a little bit of traction and then kind of a flexion of the elbow will often bring the elbow back into place. You want to do it gently. You don't want to make the injury worse, but then while you're there and you're, you're looking at it, if you have the ability to use fluoroscopy, you can range the elbow under fluoro, get flexion extension. And you want to at that moment, see exactly at what point the elbow starts to dislocate. If you usually the patient is stable in flexion, because that's when the bony architecture is most aligned. But as soon as you start extending the elbow, that's when you'll notice if the patient has instability, that's when you'll see it. So you want to make a note in that moment where the that subluxation begins to occur, because now you're now you have your guide for rehab. So you say this is a safe, and now we're going to work on extending past this. And that if it's a simple dislocation that can treat it non-operatively, that's how we like to start. So so you reduce you reduce it. You don't. But before we get into that, you reduce it. You can't really reduce it for whatever reason. How many attempts do you give it to reduce it before you say, wow, this isn't rocking it. I, I, I need to do something else because you, you do worry about post-traumatic HO and some of the other issues. So kind of discuss that a little bit. So I, I, I'm, this is probably a very, uh, a topic that's controversial, but I'm a big believer in, in you try once in the ED and if you can't get it, then you have to do it in the proper environment in the operating room with the patient under anesthesia, because the more you pull, the more trauma you're causing. And, and that's going to cause swelling. That's going to cause inflammation. That's going to make the rehab that much harder on the other end. The, you know, if you pull on it 10 times in the ED trying to get it to come down and then you, you, the patient walks out with a huge swollen elbow, that's going to inhibit their range of motion going forward. So I, once, maybe twice, if, if you think that the patient just need a little more conscious sedation. And then if you can't get it, I think straight to the operating room. Okay. And so now you reduce a simple dislocation and let, let's talk about the post reduction protocol. Do you, how long do you immobilize them for? When do you call Thomas and say, rock and roll, this is your show. What, what's, what's your next steps? So we talked about ranging under fluoro. It gives you an idea of how stable it is. You also want to look at the varus and valgus. If you have a suspicion of fracture, like an anterior medial facet piece, you want to stress it in varus and valgus. And then you can mobilize. Usually you don't want to mobilize more than two weeks. It depends on the patient. I think this is something that's kind of guided by your, your sense of the patient and the soft tissue. If the patient doesn't seem too traumatized, too swollen, you probably need less soft tissue rest. But two weeks, I think, is a good um, rule of thumb or a place to begin. And then... If you've made it, if you took the time to range it under fluoro, you know at what point the patient's going to become unstable. So then you can slowly start increment. Once they start therapy, you can start incrementing that extra 10 degrees. But you have to follow the patient. You have to examine the patient. You can't just say, see you in 10 weeks. You're going to be fine. And, and so, Thomas, kind of walk us through. Uh, Dr. Orbe sends a patient over. You're 10 days, 14 days out. 
you show up in a brace. Um, kind of walk us. So, so there's a couple of questions. One question is walk us through therapy. And then the overwhelming question, which every sports guy, every elbow, every shoulder surgeon gets is when can I go back to playing volleyball or football or baseball or golf or whatever? So, so kind of initially walk us through your rehab protocol from the time that patient shows up. And then, and then what do you tell them when they ask you that question? So the protocol obviously depends on the surgeon. So I'll read up on her protocols, uh, make sure that uh, they align with my goals as well. And the first thing I'm going to say is to limit extension on the elbow. That's when we're at least stable on the elbow for any instability of the elbow, whether coming off a fracture or MCL tear, anything um, that's going to cause that elbow instability. So we might limit that to 30, 30 degrees flexion of the elbow whether it be on the brace or not. And I'm going to tell them that we need to get moving. We need to get that elbow and stabilizers moving as soon as possible to kind of get them back to their daily routines and everyday tasks before they injure themselves again. Because if they rely on passive range of motion, for example, mobs, uh, ultrasounds, they might re-injure themselves because life doesn't stop for anybody. And that's what we in Cora kind of um, try to teach our patients every day that some ways that we can compensate for a lack of instability or we can go and um, attack it head on and, and start improving that active range of motion right away, whether it be um, turning a doorknob, uh, biking. I've had uh, athletes, um, percussionists, drummers, right? Um, time doesn't stop for anybody, life doesn't stop for everybody, but we are definitely going to teach them every day to limit their elbow extension and that active range of motion is king when it comes to rehab. And so how long are you going to leave in the brace for? Maybe that's a question for Dr. Orbe, but how long are you going to leave in the brace for? I mean, you, they start their therapy for 10 to 14 days out. Um, they've gone through the rehab protocol. Maybe you give them some home exercises and they say, Hey, how long do I have to wear this brace for? What, what do you tell them? Well, it depends on each patient, but more or less, I'll probably keep them and keep them in the brace for about four weeks, you know, on and off, kind of weeding them off that, that uh, sling to kind of get that elbow flexion, elbow extension going. Um, so I think zero to four weeks, if that, um, if the surgeon agrees to that protocol. That's awesome. And, and, and so, and when do you start? So now you start them on the range of motion, you're going to work on their extension maybe their supination and pronation a little bit. When, when do you start their strengthening? And kind of walk through the strengthening protocol for, you know, a straightforward elbow dislocation, reduction, 18-year-old um, college football player, high school football player, when do you start their strengthening? Well, we're going to uh, regain and improve our muscular strength around the six-week mark to 10-week mark, depending on how severe the surgery was. Um, even depending on if they started off with an overhead protocol, right? So if they started with, with an overhead protocol, it might be a little later on, uh, might be a little eight, the eight week, eight week mark. And uh, we, we'll go ahead and start strengthening, um, especially um, the stabilizers of the elbow, our brachialis, our biceps and our triceps to kind of get those muscles sucking in uh, those joints to kind of get a little more stable. And, and, and talk about the secondary uh, stabilizers and talk about the shoulder. I mean, do you, do you, do you work on the posterior shoulder or what, what, what do we do to try to get that whole 
quadrant kind of uh, back on track to get back to, let's say, throwing a baseball, hitting a tennis ball, et cetera? Well, definitely we are trying to stabilize um, and strengthen the scapula, the arm, the, I'm sorry, the deltoid. Uh, we want to avoid abduction as much as possible because it might cause a various force. Um, and it, they might not even be trying to do it, but something as simple as uh, hitting a drum, riding bike, or um, throwing a ball or something, right, might cause a little discomfort uh, in that. So we're going to try to limit abduction, but we can go ahead and strengthen that scapula, that shoulder joint, that rotator cuff, as well as the wrist extensors and the wrist flexors it is a big part of my rehab, especially at the beginning when we are weaning up to the to the strengthening. That's perfect. So Dr. Orboy, who are we going to operate on? I mean, what, what, what are the indications for a surgical resolution to this instability pattern? So uh, you don't, I think you don't want to stick your head in the sand and keep thinking this is going to get better. This is going to get better. And then find yourself dealing with a joint that that's, you know, been injured. I think that you bring the patient back two weeks, you examine them and you, if you have access to fluoro, you look at them under fluoro, but I think that really past four weeks, if you're still feeling that that elbow is unstable, you have to think about doing something different. And do you do anything to, to preempt that? Do you, do you get a CT to see what the fragment looks like? The MRI, do you put contrast in the elbow? What, what's your kind of, what's your so, next uh, step? So if there's a fracture, um, you, a CT is very valuable. I think that it's appropriate for fractures where you are not sure of the size of the location. You, um, but I, I do think that most, most important are your x-rays and your clinical exam. It's that, that's going to give you most of the information you need, because if you see a fracture and you feel that the patient is unstable to various stress, then you, you know that that needs to be addressed. And then you, you can see the anatomy in the operating room. An MRI is, is useful, but I mean, especially in these patterns that we just have so, so long have known the mechanism, you know, like a terrible triad, you know, that the lateral collateral ligament is going to be out. You know, that you may have to address the medial collateral ligament if you continue to have instability, but you, you can make assumptions based on, on experience and your imaging as well as the patient's clinical exam. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you fix a posterior lateral uh, corner or the posterior lateral instability pattern and how you address, uh, the medial instability pattern in an acute setting. So you mean as, as far as like a, the surgery. a like an LCL injury? Yes, ma'am. So um, the lateral collateral ligament is much, is a easier anatomy. We deal with it all the time. It's repaired every time we fix a terrible triad. And you can do that uh, using bone tunnels and fiber wire. You can do that using uh anchors. The, the key is to, to get the correct tension on the ligament and then allow the ligament to heal so that you can rehab it. The, the, if you know your anatomy and you know, the isometric points of the, the ligament or where the, the insertions of the ligament, then you want to reconstruct as closely as possible to the native anatomy. And what about the medial side? So at a primary repair, or do you, do you augment that or how do you address that? It, this is, this is so patient dependent. I, I get the feeling that, that you tend to have younger athletic patients and uh, my patient population tends to be older, um, older 
osteoporotic patients. I get a lot of patients who are, who fall in. And so, I mean, this afternoon we did an anteromedial facet and the, the difficulty there is if the bone quality is not great, you you need not only for the bone to heal, but you want to protect your, your ligament reconstruction because you, both of, both of the stabilizers of that part of the elbow are out. So we, we often use an internal brace, whether it's a product that we can advertise or one that you make yourself, but, but you want to re you want to reinforce your repair using something that will offload the stress on that ligament. And so, and that also allows you to get the elbow moving much more quickly because you know that you have, you are maintaining the correct, you're, you're taking the forces off of the ligament, allowing the ligament to scar in and heal at the correct length. So that when you start ranging the elbow, you're not getting a varus or valgus, uh, slop to the elbow when you're, when you're rehabbing. No, I think that's really, really good. And, and in, in our UCLs, we've gone to that, you know, we use a graft autograft and we're actually throwing in an internal brace so we can rehab them quite a bit quicker and it's really been very very beneficial so thomas um dr orbe fixes this elbow here they are on your doorstep H how does your rehab different from somebody who's non-surgical and again what are we looking at time frames how long are they going to be in therapy for and kind of walk us through the therapy just a little bit so uh first thing i i would do obviously educate them limit their uh, extension on their elbow. Um, and then if they're not post-surgical, we can get right to the nitty gritty um, and do some uh, dynamic uh, uh, isometrics, uh, which is my favorite, one of my favorite exercises um, pertaining to uh, radial deviation, ulnar deviation, while keeping the hand neutral, keeping that elbow neutral while I kind of or well, they're holding onto a stick or a fair web, uh, we, which we use in therapy. Um, they grab it, and I kind of just turn it uh, slightly, uh, gradually, I, obviously, um, to their strength level to make sure that everything's fine. Um, and depending on the patient, if I can progress them, right? Um, so that's part of what I do, what I love. Um, a lot of my therapy goes, um, a lot of my therapy uh, happens, Sorry, an important part of my therapy is doing what, what's not going to help, right? So I don't think heat packs are going to help. I don't think ultrasound is going to help. I don't think passive range, range of motion, uh, any molds are going to help. So we get straight to the nitty gritty. I have them do uh, a lot of wrist extension uh, strengthening uh, to try to get those stabilizers to get that elbow stable and get them moving because if they're not post-surgical, we're wasting time and I don't want that elbow to get stiff. So, you know, I, I think that's really a good point. And I think the, the, the boogeyman of, of trying to work on these elbows is extension. It's always very difficult to get extension back, even with a simple radial head fracture. So, um, I, I think your, your, your traction, your, your, your focus on extension and trying to range them is, is very good. You do have to be careful about heterotopic ossification, but I, I love your plan. So, you know, one of the things that, I mean, nothing scares me worse than, a, than an elbow dislocation. And again, I'm a sports guy, so I'm not that smart, but I, I, I really worry about vascular injuries and I worry about uh, compartment syndrome and Volkman's. So Dr. Orbe, walk us through what goes wrong. I mean, it's great when everything goes right, and we pat ourselves on the back. We're so happy. We spiked the football. But 
Tell us what happens when things go wrong. Tell us about vascular, you know, how do you have to evaluate the vascular situation, maybe the neurovascular situation, and then what, what's compartment syndrome? Um, so, so as far as the neurovascular exam, all joint dislocations put the arteries and the nerves at risk. I think in the elbow, you mostly worry about the ulnar nerve. I think the ulnar nerve is just a nerve that can't take a joke. And as soon as you look at it, it starts to act up. And even telling you from personal experience, even two months later, all of a sudden that ulnar nerve can decide to give you a hard time. Um, and so I think that the first thing you want to do when you see a patient is examine them, make sure they have a good pulse and then that they have a nice cap refill in their fingers. And then you want to get a good neuro exam, check that ulnar nerve, check the median nerve, make sure you have good wrist extension. And then but a compartment syndrome is when the pressure in the muscles of the forearm has increased to such a degree from the swelling that the blood can no longer flow out of the musculature. So in early compartment syndrome, blood can flow in, but it can't flow back out. And then as compartment syndrome evolves, you just blood can't go anywhere. You lose your pulse, you lose the ability. It becomes very painful to move your arms, to move your muscles and unchecked, you can end up with what's called Volkman's contracture. So the, the muscles die and they necrose and they fibrose down and then you lose the ability to move them. That's a terrible, terrible thing. And hope, thankfully, it's not something that I have seen, but I know it has happened and it can happen after surgery too. It can happen from something as benign as, as, you know, long surgery, a lot of swelling, and then you put a dressing too tight and the patient can call you saying, I'm in so much pain and you can never ignore them. You have to say, loosen your dressing, take it off. Can you move your fingers? Do your fingers feel funny? Because, because we, we can miss these things if we're not thoughtful about them. I think that's really good. It is rare. I've, I've probably seen two. I've been doing this a long time. It was, they were both when I was a resident uh, in, a, in a highly traumatic hospital. Um, but when you see it, it's, it's, it's daunting. So what do you do for compartment syndrome? Somebody comes in, you know, they have terrible pain on passive wrist extension or finger extension. You measure the compartment pressures or pressures are high. Then what do you do? You have to do a release. So in the forearm, you're going to do a, an anterior release. In a posterior release, you're going to release the superficial and deep compartments of the form as well as the dorsal compartments. You also want to address the hand if you have any concerns about the hand. The hand is has a lot of a lot of they say, ten compartments. So you have to make lots of little incisions. You have to address each compartment. Um, and then the difficulty with compartment syndrome is then you have to worry about getting the skin closed, and that often you have to leave the skin open because about the amount of swelling, you can't just close the skin because that's going to bring, bring the pressure back up. So you have to leave the skin open. It can, it's a, a wound that you have to treat. You have to stay on top of, it can get infected if you're not careful. This is, these are all, you're choosing, choosing topics that have unfortunately affected me very recently. And so <laughs> you have to, you have to then come back if you can't get the skin closed primarily, which is very common, especially in the volar forearm, you have to do a skin graft. The patient has to rehab and that's a very painful, very long process. It's a, it's, Difficult. it's a nightmare. <laughs> so, so since we're talking about nightmares, let's talk about heterotopic ossification. Patient comes in, you reduce their elbow, they come back, you get an x-ray and lo and behold, there's anterior calcification. They have a little bit of loss of motion. What do we do? So HO is, unfortunately, it's one of these things that we have to just we have to allow it to evolve because if you intervene too quickly, you can actually make the situation worse. You have to, you have to let the HO to mature, but there are medications. We can start 
I think that steroids are invaluable in this situation. You have to start on steroids, get them moving, break down the inflammation. But a lot of it, I think, is is avoiding as much trauma as possible. So you can't you can't do anything about the initial trauma, right? The patient fell, they dislocated their elbow, that's done. You can't do anything about it. But you have to be thoughtful about your approach, your dissection, your incision, you know, your handling of the soft tissues while you're operating, because all of those things can contribute. And because it's all about edema and trauma and, you know, um, necrosis of the muscle. So you have to be thoughtful while you're operating because you don't, you want to do everything you can to avoid that situation. I think that's really a good characterization. And I think that's right. I think anything you can do to, to avoid H, HO is, is helpful. Uh, uh, you know, one of the indications for radiation is, is early HO, um, I've never done it. You read about it. I don't really have, it makes me nervous, but I've seen heterotopic ossification before that probably would have done better radiated. Um, and it is a treatment. You always, it's on every board exam. Uh, it's probably something that, that uh, should be mentioned. But again, I agree with you. I think steroids, maybe some anti-inflammatories. And I think really, you know, to Thomas's point, you have to be gentle with the soft tissues, try to get the swelling down, heating up the elbow is probably not a good idea. Uh, so, so I completely agree. So, so kind of tell us, so, so now we've got that patient, you kind of missed the boat just a little bit. Maybe you treat him conservatively. And like you said, he's trying to push up from a chair and feel some weird thing in his elbow. He says, you know, having a little trouble and kind of walk us through the physical exam for somebody with, with chronic posterior lateral instability, you know, how do they present? So exactly what we said, they'll often complain of, of things that they have to do to embarrass, pushing up out of a chair. They'll say they, you know, they feel like their elbow's clicking, it's painful. They can have ulnar nerve symptoms and, you know, numbness and tingling in the finger. And so uh, the, I think that your exam is, is critical. You want to rate, you want to test them in various, you know, not just in extension, but you want to test them in various 30 and 60 degrees, feel, feel what the, the medial and lateral sides of the elbows are doing. Uh, I think that you can get, if you have access to fluoro, you can get fluoroscopy. If you don't have access to fluoro, you can actually do stress x-rays, get them x-rays under stress and see if the medial lateral side open up. You also have, you know, I think that one thing is in acutely after a dislocation, you don't necessarily have to get an MRI. You, you can kind of, it'll be a lot of edema, but I think that in this situation, an MRI is very appropriate because then you can collect more data before you decide exactly what needs, what sort of intervention the patient needs. An MRI, or if you think that there's a fracture that might have been missed, you want to get a CT scan to, to define the bony architecture. So, so tell us what happens when you stress somebody who's got chronic posterior lateral or post-traumatic posterior lateral instability. Kind of, kind of walk us through that exam a little bit because the, the, the ones that I've seen, as soon as I try to sublux them, I mean, they just apprehend. I mean, it, it, it's very, very remarkable. So kind of walk us through that just a little bit. So the, the patient already has learned what hurts. So they, they want to avoid it. So as soon as you grab them and you start to start to reproduce that, they'll, they'll tense up, they'll, you know, pull away. And so and you can, you can fight, you can be like, please relax, please relax, but they won't listen. <laughs> and I think that already is an indication that of what you're, you're dealing with, you know, occasionally you get a patient that cooperates, but sometimes you, they just describe it, but you can't reproduce it for that reason, because they're so apprehensive. And then that you, one of the great things that they actually called the, you know, the push out of the chair test and that, that you'll have them push out of a chair and say, yeah, that hurts. But in that situation, I think that the 
dynamic imaging and an MRI is going to give you the, the answer, especially in patients who, who it is, it's very painful. It's uncomfortable and, and they aren't going to grossly dislocate. That's not usually what you're dealing with, right? You're not, you're not dealing with an elbow that's going to pop out and pop back. And it's a very subtle, subtle kind of give that you're feeling. No, I think that's really a, a good characterization. And I think your pension for, for fluoroscopy is very, very good. I mean, we use a lot of it, um, especially in the shoulder, looking for subtle inferior instability, et cetera, subtle anterior instability. But I think in the elbow, it's invaluable because you're right. And the second thing is no one's going to let you sublux their elbow. I mean, you know, they're going to punch you before you get to the point where the, the radial head really gets to shift. So it is very subtle. Um, so, so last question, or maybe the last question, posterior lateral instability, chronic, what do you use for your graft? Um, okay. So, so Palmaris has been kind of traditionally what I, what I've used Palmaris. This is, I know that in sports world, this is uh, up to debate because people take from the contralateral hand, you know, to, to not take any, to, to not affect the dominant arm. Um, I'll admit that my patients are don't really don't seem to notice if I take their, their palmaris, but they're older, you know, it's 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 a different most of my traumatic instabilities are I deal a lot with terrible triads. I deal a lot with patients who are, have a their our goal is to give them a functional elbow. So so would it be wonderful to give all our patients, you know, a hundred, a hundred and 40, 160. Yes. But some of these fractures that come in, what our goal is, is just to get them a functioning arm. So, I mean, it's, I didn't learn any of this until recently, but something as simple as turning your hand up to get your credit card in the machine is really hard for a person that doesn't have full supination. And then, and I shaving patients can't shave. They can't brush their hair. And just from lack of flexion, and those are the things that we're trying to get our patients back to. No, I think that's great. You know, the big complaint is I can't eat. You're like, oh, I can't get my hand in my mouth, which, you know, if you're eating some peanuts or, you know, Reese's, you can't do that. So that's, that's, that is tough. Um, Thomas, kind of give us, give us your thoughts real quick on um, rehab. You have an older gentleman or older female coming in. They've had, you know, a bad fracture or they've had an instability pattern. Uh, what, what are the things we need to look for where we're having a problem? I mean, if you said, when, when are you going to call Dr. Orbe and say, you know, something isn't cool here, what, what's going on? So, so, you know, what keeps you up at night in, in terms of your rehab? So, um, when they come to rehab and they're feeling a little stiff and they're, they're complaining that they can't feed themselves, they can't shave, they can't, uh, supinate to be able to swipe their credit card. Um, first we'll kind of, I'll kind of examine why, why they're doing so. Are they just getting out of bed and not doing any, any of the home exercise programs that I prescribe to them? Um, and just doing it cold with a cold elbow, no warm up, uh, maybe to see, cause I, I do get a lot of patients that, uh, that would say, oh, after doing a lot of my home exercise programs, I'm seeing a lot more motion on my elbow. Um, so I try to educate them to say, Hey, if this is not working, let's try something new. Right. And, and, and and in that case, it's, uh, most of the times is that they're not warmed up. They haven't been performing their home exercise programs and I'll make sure that they're performing their home exercise program before ever contacting Dr. Uh, Orbe. Um, I just feel like 
um, getting them back to reality and out of the ER, out of the clinics is what's best for them and what's best for everybody. That was great. So before we, before we end, uh, Thomas, what do we forget? What, what do you want to tell us that we didn't talk about? I feel like we touched up on everything. Um, definitely, um, I feel like elbow stiffness is going to be a key component when it comes to rehab, especially uh, Dr. Orbe's patients. Um, they might, you know, the, uh, the surgery might be amazing, right? It could be an amazing surgery. What happens? Maybe they get COVID, right? That stops their rehab. They start their home exercise program. They just forget everything that we taught them. They come back. Oh, I have stiffness on my elbow. Thomas, I need you to fix me. Um, I don't want to go to the OR again, and we'll take it from there. But what's, what's, what I can do is try to teach them what's best for them and follow instructions from um, your surgeon, your fellow surgeon, Dr. Orbe. Dr. Orbe, what do we forget? What do you want to tell us? Um, I just, I think that the most important thing when dealing with these elbows, especially the bad traumatic fracture, unstable elbows, is that the, it's game over if you don't get the patient, don't have a stable elbow when they get out of the operating room. You have to get out of the operating room with a stable elbow, and whether that's just a purely ligamentous reconstruction or a good bony and ligamentous reconstruction, backing up or your repair, you want to give the patient the ability to get walk out of the operating room and start moving that, their elbow that day. You want them to come in post-op day five with a soft dressing and bringing their hand to their mouth, because that if not, you, you're already behind the eight ball. You know, this is a very tough topic. I mean, this is, I mean, we talk about a lot of things in these podcasts, but traumatic elbow instability, distal humerus fractures, I mean, they're just, they're just always, you see them and you're just, I don't see them, I send them to my partner, but um, they, they always make you shiver a little bit. So you guys really did an unbelievable job. Uh, I commend you guys uh, on talking about this. This is a very tough problem. The bones osteoproduct, you know, the hardware doesn't really work sometimes and on and on and on. And now it's okay. Go ahead and eat. Like you said, get your hand in your mouth, go ahead and get your wallet out of your back pocket. And these are day-to-day -day normal activities, activities of daily living, which become uh, monumental. So again, you guys were awesome. And uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Excellent job. Uh, by the way, don't, don't Google uh, elbow instability if you get a little squeamish because those pictures are squeamish worthy. And it's like the first thing I saw, I was like, Oh, oh, shame. oh my God. And by the way, if anything prevents me from drinking a beer or eating a burrito, I'm all in for a repair. <laughs> FYI committed to the food. Okay. Give me a light beer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can't drink my beer. Uh, Dr. Orbe, how would somebody get a hold of you? And they're saying, gosh, she's speaking my language. Plus I can't drink a beer. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, we, I'm part of the Miami bone and joint Institute. So if you just Google Miami bone and joint.com, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm on that website. Hey, really? Let me just confirm that it's .com. Yeah, yes.com. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I, I'm not sure if somebody's got a .net out there. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, that domain's taken. Thomas, back to you. How does somebody get a hold of you? You can go ahead and Google uh, Coral Gables Core Physical Therapy. I'll be there. I am there every day, full time. So I'll see you there. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Again, just be careful when you Google elbow instability. Yeah, 
It's going to get you. All right. Once again, thank you very much for joining In Your Corner with Cora Physical Therapy. We want you to go to CoraPhysicalTherapy.com. Find out more. Find Thomas if you can out there. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's there. But it's a great website. You can navigate. It is a great starting point for you to start a living a better life. All right. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you.